Turn your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, for a sermon entitled, Listening to Rhoda. Acts chapter 12, Listening to Rhoda. We are three, you are three, have mercy on us. We are three, you are three, have mercy on us. This was a simple prayer prayed by three hermits on an island, but it was unacceptable to the learned church officials who went to check on them. So they stayed on the island with the hermits, teaching them about the fine nuances of theological prayer. And then finally they went back to the ship, having enlightened the hermits. Within a few moments, back on the ship, the church leaders saw an amazing sight, three balls of fire coming across the water towards us. As the fire drew closer, they could see that the fire was none other than the hermits running on top of the water. And they said, we already forgot what you told us about how to pray. Could you tell us again, give us a little summary about how we're supposed to pray? The officials then replied, you just keep on praying the way you've been praying. Obviously, for the hermits, prayer was more than a form or formality. Prayer was a force. By the time we reached the 12th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, had become a target. They were on the king's hit list in his effort to suppress a proclamation that Jesus is a Christ. James, by now, has already chopped off. James has already had his head chopped off by Herod. And now Herod has put Peter in prison, awaiting the blade himself. When Herod killed James, the Jews were elated. And Herod wanted to score some more points for the people, especially during this Passover season. And so he proceeded with his plans to kill Peter. Now, this is Herod Agrippa, would be the grandson of the Herod you know, Herod the Great, the awful king during the birth of the Bethlehem baby. Peter was placed under the heaviest of security, guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. It was a 12-hour night watch, and they took turns so that they would be fresh because Peter was a prized prisoner. It was the night before Peter himself was going to trial. I don't know how he slept, but he did. He was chained to two of the guards on that watch, and there were two more standing as sentries outside the prison. And while he's sleeping, Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears to Peter, and he strikes him on the side. Look at verse 7. He strikes him to wake him up. Get up, get up, he said. At once, the chains fell from Peter's wrists. The term used there in verse 7 for the angel striking Peter's side is only used one other time. Oddly enough, in all the New Testament, there are only two times that an angel strikes someone. Right here, he strikes Peter in order to save him. Then move over to verse 23, and you'll see he strikes Herod in order to kill him. Same word. 
So this was no small nudge that Peter received from the angel while he was sleeping. He was struck on the side. Now, Peter's kind of groggy. He's kind of sleepy. The angel has to tell him everything to do. Look at verse 8. Gird yourself. Put on your sandals. Wrap your cloak. It's kind of like waking up your 8-year-old in the middle of the night to go from place A to place B, and you can't get them to get with the program. Peter's kind of like a groggy child. The angel says, hey, 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 put on your belt. Now, put on your shoes. Hey, put on your cloak. We're getting out of here, Peter is stumbling. He's shuffling his feet as he sort of sleepwalks out of the prison. He had no idea that the angel was real. Peter thought he was having a vision. Peter thought he was dreaming. As they walk right by the first rank of guards, the second rank of guards, and finally they come to the Jerusalem gate, an iron gate that opens and closes, and mysteriously before them, the gate opens by itself, and that only confirms to Peter that he's having some kind of mysterious dream or vision. And after they walk the length of one street, the angel vanishes just as quickly as he had come. Look at verse 11. Peter wakes up. And he says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything those Jews were wanting to happen to me. Now I know it's real. I've escaped. Now in verse 12, the scene shifts. In verse 12, it's a picture of believers who are gathered together in John Mark, mother's house. Her name is Mary. And they're in there praying for the release of Peter. They're in there praying that Peter would not face death. They're praying that God will release him. Her name, Rhoda, it means rose. Peter's outside and he's knocking. And he's trying to get in. He came to himself, verse 11 and verse 12, he realized that They were gathered together in the house of John Mark. Look at verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rose, or Rhoda, came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate. She ran back in and announced Peter was standing at the front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. You have lost your mind. Now, Rhoda, it seems to me, is much like the servant girl at the trial of Jesus. You remember during that trial, there's a servant girl who goes and opens the gate. And so Peter's out there knocking. I mean, the authorities are going to be looking for him. They're going to discover he's escaped. He's trying to get out of the moonlight and into the shadows of cover. And so Rhoda is a servant. She goes to the gate. When she gets there, she's so excited that Peter's released. She knows they're in there praying for his safety. She's so excited, she just says, oh my, it's Peter, and leaves him standing out there, right out there in the moonlight, and she runs back in and says, guys, you're not going to believe this, Peter is out there, Peter is there. She's overjoyed and leaves the apostle standing outside. Peter's at the door, you're not going to believe this. Well, they don't, she's right, you don't, we're not going to believe this. Did you hear what I said? 
you're in there praying for Peter to be released. He's out there. He's at the gate. Oh, my, I left him at the gate. I want you to look back at verse 5. There's a little clue that something big is going to happen in verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer. You see that? That's the first time I've ever seen that this week. Peter was in the prison, but prayer. Prayer for him was being made fervently by whom? By the church of God. They stopped praying for Peter's protection. They said, no, 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 it's not Peter. You must be seeing his angel. The Jews thought that everyone had a guardian angel, and after someone's death for a few days, the angel, the lookalike, might be around. We might say in our church today, you've seen his ghost. They found it easier to believe that Herod had hastily beheaded Peter like he had James than believe that their prayers had been answered. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. you got to be kidding. Some things answered prayer sometimes. It's just too good to be true. But it was true. I just, it must seem like forever, old Peter out there kept knocking on the door. He couldn't make too much noise, but the guy let him in. He couldn't rattle the gates and cause a commotion. He's out there knocking, knocking, please let me in, looking for another response. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Come on, let me in. Hurry, my goodness. Open the door. They're looking for me. Look at verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door... They saw him and were amazed. Now, wait. I thought they were in there praying for this to happen. Why are they amazed? Your translation may say astonished. Why are they astonished? Why are they amazed? God is doing the exact thing that they've asked for. They had prayed for Peter's delivery, and now God had delivered I know that James had been beheaded, and it didn't go that way with James. But on this one, they were praying for Peter, for specifically for his release and protection, for God to intervene. They petitioned the throne of God, and God answers, and they can't believe it. They refused to believe it. They refused to listen to Rhoda. Listening to Rhoda means that we're willing to be a church and a people of expectancy. That when we pray, we expect, expect God in return to do great things on behalf of his followers. Listening to Rhoda, realizing that God does answer prayers, and realizing that God works in mysterious ways beyond the natural through the Spirit for his people. Sending people our way putting us at the right time, at the right place, with the right people. So we can be bearers of the hope of his kingdom. You see, the church has been trying to silence Rhoda from the very beginning. Even the shadow of the living Peter, the apostle, 
The one who brings the message that God has acted in the person of Jesus, especially in his crucifixion and resurrection, even while Peter is still alive, the church refuses to listen to answered prayer. They refuse to listen to Rhoda. They were gathered there in Mary's house, John Mark's mother, on their knees. They were praying, but they were not expecting. They were praying, but they were not expecting. Fred Craddock, professor and pastor, tells a story. He was going down to the hospital, and somebody started shouting, come in here, come in here. And he said, who, me? She said, well, if you're a preacher, I want you to come in here. That happens to me a lot. People hear my voice in the hallway, go get him. And so I, I understand the, 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 the saga here. So Fred Craddock's out in the hallway. Lady shouts, come into my room, come into my room. And he says, me? She wasn't on his list. You know, it wasn't, she wasn't, he wasn't supposed to visit with her. She wasn't a member of his church. And she was shouting, come in here, come in here. He said, me? She said, if you're a preacher, I want you to come in here. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Now, before you get defensive about that, you won't believe the things that preachers get asked to do. <laughs> I fully understand the question. What's the deal here before we get started? What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> I want you to pray for me to be healed, of course. Aren't you a preacher? Like, if you're in the hospital and you're yelling for the preacher to come in, you want to pray for healing. He said, oh, oh okay, I'll do that. And so he prayed for her to be healed. Now, he's a mainline denomination. He prayed for her to be healed. At the end of his prayer, we said, amen. She jumped up out of the bed. She shouted, hallelujah, I'm healed. He said her vitals came back in line. She obviously had been healed. It was a complete miracle, not what he was expecting at all, but it happened, and it happened during his prayer. He went back to his car in the parking garage. He said his pulse was racing. His heart was pounding. He put his head on the steering wheel and said, Lord, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> Fred Craddock wasn't listening to Rhoda. It's funny. It's funny because Craddock prayed and really didn't think God would answer his prayer. <clears throat> that was true of this group of Christians that were huddled together for fear in Jerusalem in the home of John Mark's, you know him as Mark's mother's house. And there's Rhoda, little Rose, servant girl. I think she's young. She's got the base job, the, the little job, opening the gate, watching the gate. There's Rose, more naive about the community of faith, not really keeping up with everything that's going on. She might not be as theologically grounded as the others who are praying. But God wrote in you, really does hear the prayers of his people. Elva McAllister has written a poem, whenever Deacon Jones kneels down to pray, tall angels gather round him with alert faces and flexing wingtips. They know that urgent errands will soon be sending them in rapid haste like leaves in the autumn wind. While he was kneeling today, three of them saluted and left for the local hospital. 
Six or eight in a strong, swift pirouette went toward as many mission fields in other countries. One disappeared to do his stint in the office of a harried senator. And four more were hovering while Jones yet spoke beside four other mortals surnamed Jones. Some of us may consider old Deacon Jones a humble, unimportant, ordinary man. No matter. He's far too busy with his opportunities to give much attention to our appraisals because he's dispatching angels. Sometimes in our prayer life, we become hardened. It's easy for me to do the same thing, not making fun of Craddock or the believers gathered there in the Jerusalem in Mary's house. I'm, I'm part of that story as well, and I fear maybe some of you are too. And some of it is because I have such a deep and respect and awe for God. I want to be careful about making God a part of every life. Like if I'm at Walmart and I drive up and there's a space right there in front of the door claiming that's a miracle. Well, at Walmart it might be a miracle, but at most places maybe, maybe not. Engaging God talk in every little decision reminds me of, of Robbie here. Robbie was being tempted to get a donut to the donut stop. He prayed to God, if I'm supposed to get a donut today, he already had the flavor picked out. <laughs> Let there be a parking space right in front of the donut stop when I come around. I'll know then. It's not Satan temptation, but a provision of the Lord. <laughs> and sure enough, 23rd time around the block, there was a, there was a parking space. There she is at the door, and she's right. Peter is there, and the prayers have been answered, and all the people who've been praying for Peter can simply say is, you've seen a ghost. We've we got to go back to praying for Peter. Don't bother us. Listening to Rhoda. The late Milton Cunningham was pastor of the Westbury Baptist Church in Houston, and later the, the chaplain at Baylor University. He was a good friend of mine. A letter came to Dr. Cunningham's house, and it was all wrong. The name was wrong. The street was wrong. The city was wrong. The zip code was wrong. There was nothing about that letter that should have come to his house in Waco. It should have gone to, in Arlington. Now, Dr. Cunningham said to his wife, Barbara, this is strange. You know, sometimes you might get your kid's mail or your next-door neighbor's mail, or you might get the mail of the person who lived in the house 10 years ago, but just this totally unrelated piece of mail, it just, just seems so strange. He knew it wasn't theirs. He wasn't nosy. He just threw it in the trash. And it started, started bothering Barbara. He said, Melton, I... The, that wasn't junk mail. That's pretty nice stationery. I'm, I'm going to see what that letter. I, I don't feel good just throwing it in the trash. 
Back in the old days, you could call an operator and she would help you. And that day, she called the operator and they cross-referenced the address and the name and bingo. She got a phone number for the lady whose name was on the letter in the mail. And she called the lady and said, hey, you don't know me. Don't, don't hang up. You live in Arlington. I live in Waco. But for some odd reason, I got a very nice letter addressed to you. Oh, it's just some junk mail made to look like that lady said, just throw it away. She said, no, no, it's not junk mail. I promise. I can tell. I know junk mail when I see junk mail. This isn't junk mail. I'm not comfortable throwing it away. I just want to send it to you. It's from North Carolina. The lady began to weep. Maybe it's a letter from my son. My ex-husband has a lot of money, and he told our two boys if they wanted any money when he died, they could have nothing to do with me. It's been over a decade. I've had no communication with that son. Would you please send me the letter? She readdressed the envelope, place of the mail, and about three months later, the spirit just puts a layer of mind again. She calls her and says, hey, I just want to call, make sure you got the letter. She says, it's what I thought. My son graduated from A&M. He was admitted to med school. And he was reaching out, trying to make up for all the lost years. And if I hadn't responded to that letter, his one attempt to reach out, I'd have never gotten to speak to my son again. We have a renewed relationship, and everything's going to be okay. We're making up for lost time and lost years. Then Barbara started meeting the lady once a month at a town in between Arlington and Waco in Hillsboro and doing a monthly Bible study with the lady leading her in the faith. What about it, church member? What about it, deacon? What about it, Bible study leader, teacher? What about it, staff member? What about it, pastor? Are we so hardened and so fixed theologically that we dare not listen to the words of Rhoda? When you look at Acts chapter 12, the thing that's most disturbing is if we had to choose a character for ourselves, we're probably in that group in the corner praying for Peter, not really expecting anything to happen. I'm happy to say that we can learn anew to begin listening to Rhoda. We can pray and expect that God might really do something. He has in the past. Wednesday nights, we gather a prayer meeting and we pray, and we've certainly seen miracles done through those prayers. Those of you who are there know the reports that we receive. But to listen to Rhoda is to let God be God, to go before his throne with expectancy and hope and joy and know he can answer your prayer however he chooses to answer it, but you're going to pray with expectation and with comfort. Maybe our prayers need to sound different to God's ears 
today. Howard Hendricks, professor of theology, talked about a man who came to meet the Lord on a, a Thursday evening, and he came on Sunday morning, and the preacher said, we're studying this book tonight, and he came back on Sunday night, and then he found out, he's a brand new believer, and he found out the church meets on Wednesday, so he came back on Wednesday. And it was a prayer meeting, and their prayer meeting, everybody prayed, and he looked, turned over to the, he didn't know it was a professor of theology, and said, do you think they mind if I pray? Well, no, of course not. That's why we're here, my friend. Yeah, yeah, but I've got a problem. I can't say it the way you all say it. That's no problem, friend. When it came time for that man to pray, the professor just kind of patted him on the back, and he said the prayer went like this, Lord, this is Jim. You know the one that met you on Thursday night. I'm sorry, Lord, because I can't say it the way the rest of these people do. But I want to tell you the best way I know how. I love you. I really do. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later. Bye. The prayer ignited the whole prayer meeting. Dr. Hendricks says, some of us have been exploring the Milky Way and the galaxies of theological nuances in our prayers. They got nowhere. But this guy prayed earnestly. Listening to Rhoda means listening to the guy who meets the Lord on Thursday and is already teaching you a new expectancy of your faith on Wednesday. Really expecting that God will answer your prayers. Refusing to say, no, the prayer could not have been answered. It must be a ghost. It can't be real. Because Peter is standing at the gate. Ready to come in. Frederick Beekner says, the God you call upon will finally come. And even if he doesn't bring you the answer you want, he will bring you himself. Which is what you're really praying for. After all. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a powerful passage a little unknown character of the New Testament, a little girl named Rose. She tells us God answers prayers. And I pray we believe her again. In Jesus' name, amen.